Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herd Tell. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, we haven't talked about Afghanistan lately, but we need to. There's a lot of stuff going on over there. It's almost the one-year anniversary of the pullout of America and the other allies and the mess that Kabul became. A uh, friend of ours from over in India joining us. He has a great piece out in International Policy Digest. Pratamesh Yamul joining us from India. How are you, sir? Appreciate your time today. Hello, I'm pretty well. Thank you for having me here. I'm thrilled to have you. Okay, let's just start because let's be adults here. Most of the world stopped paying attention right after the Kabul fall. fell. Everybody got upset. They were mad for about a week or two, and then everybody worldwide moved on. Pick up the story from there because for the people of Afghanistan, and Afghanistan's population doubled over the 20 years of the American war there. Pick the story up there. What what happened after that that kind of led us up to what's going on now a year later? So basically, after the fall of Kabul, the Taliban managed to take over most of Afghanistan. There was um, an attempt by members of the previous uh, democratic government, such as the vice president, Amrullah Saleh, and um, Ahmed Masood, uh, who was, I guess, a military commander. He was a uh, son of the famous Ahmad Shah Masood. There was an attempt by them to put up resistance in the Panjshir Valley. Um, in uh, it's I think north of Kabul as far as I remember and there was an attempt to put up resistance there which didn't last for too long you know they weren't that well supported they were support surrounded from all sides and um, after that for the most part the Taliban was able to take at least military control of the uh, country but what they haven't been able to form a government or an administration in the strictest sense they have formed a government a state they've appointed their leadership but there's been quite a quite an issue with the amount of control they can exert over the country and also how effectively they can govern uh, administer and um, enforce laws among other things one of the biggest problems they faced ever since they took kabul and took over afghanistan has been um an organization called isk or daesh k which is uh, it is basically an affiliate of the islamic state in syria and iraq that we know so well and it's the local affiliate of uh, isis called isis khorasan province or vilayat khorasan and they have basically, um, they were carrying out an insurgent and terrorist campaign even against the previous democratic government, but they've kind of used the chaos that came with um, the taking of Kabul and 
you know the taliban trying to form a new state new government to exert their control over the, most of the country they've used that chaos to um exercise terror basically they've had they've had constant attacks on the taliban taliban troops taliban police and they've done constant um terrorist attacks on civilian places they've attacked mosques they've attacked hospitals they've attacked um schools they've as recently as yesterday there was an uh not yesterday i'm sorry as recent as a few weeks ago or a month ago there was an attack on a uh, gurdwara which is a sikh religious site in kabul where uh an isis militant attempted to uh kill a bunch of uh peaceful worshippers basically and these attacks have been for the majority been focused like the terror attacks have been focused on civilians and have disproportionately affected the minority communities like the shia muslims and uh, sikhs and hindus in afghanistan and um isis k has kind of been unrelenting in their attacks on the taliban and the civilian population they've constantly kept up the pressure and they've used this chaos to kind of um form a stronghold of sorts in two major provinces in uh, northeastern afghanistan mainly nangarhar and kunar province and um a third called nuristan where they have a somewhat lesser presence and these are high mountainous provinces you know hard to get so they've basically stuck there and formed a kind of local base there and ever since they've constantly been attacking civilian sites they've been attacking taliban members and they've been trying to sow as much chaos and create as much instability as they could and basically that's what's been going on there've been major attacks they've attacked um they've attacked shiite mosques they've attacked uh, sikh religious sites they've attacked hospitals they were, i think they attacked uh, a maternal hospital if i'm not wrong they've also carried out very sophisticated for um for the region they've carried out very sophisticated terrorist attacks on um the afghan power grid they've attacked uh, power electricity towers which resulted in blackouts for large portions of uh, afghanistan and they did this on a very strategic uh, time they did it close to the e holiday of eid and um basically they've been trying to sow as much chaos as possible if you uh, remember during the american pull out from afghanistan or the fall of kabul there was a suicide attack at kabul airport where uh, american servicemen died and you know 170 or so afghans died if i'm not wrong and uh, this attack was also carried out by isis khorasan so basically they have been attempting to uh, use the chaos and the i i'd say position of instability that always comes with a new armed revolution taking control to basically advance their agenda and they've been attacking basically everyone in the region now on the outside observers because we don't always pay real close attention to this in the west especially in american media when americans aren't involved people probably are wondering why are they fighting There's some important differences between ISIS-K and the Taliban though. The Taliban of course came out of the Pashtun nationalism, the tribal people, they were the original um the Mujahideen if you're old enough to go all the way back to the Soviet era. 
for lack of a better way of explaining it, ISIS-K sees them more locally and they see themselves as more of the international branch. There's some other ideological differences, though. Why is it a shooting blood for you? You call it a turf war for our Western parlance. This is just going to be an internal thing, right? There's not going to be any detente here. There's not going to be a peace among them, right? Not likely. Because, well, for one, this is, I call it a turf war, because this conflict is not only ideological, but for some of them, it's personal. You see, ISIS Khorasan actually formed from a breakaway group of what uh, of the organization that is Tehreek-e-Taliban Pakistan, which is basically the Pakistani Taliban. Uh, so two of the major leaders who formed ISIS-K, one of them was Hafiz Saeed Khan, who was a Pakistani from Tehreek-e-Taliban Pakistan, and another one, uh, I can't remember his name, but was a pretty high uh, Taliban leader, Afghan Taliban leader. So this isn't just ideological, but is also quite literally uh, the result of personal disputes within the leadership. Along with this, there is, of course, the fact that um, that basically both organizations are kind of going for the same core audience. They're, say, go, they're going to recruit the same core group of uh, radically inclined uh, people who are ready to fight. Along with that, this conflict also has its roots, uh, kind of, in the general conflict internationally among uh, jihadists that we see between Al-Qaeda and uh, the Islamic State. The Islamic State broke away as a part of Al-Qaeda and uh, they both claim to lead a worldwide Islamist movement. So it's partly because of partly because they're you know going for the same position. They're not going to have any form of detente because Islamic State claims itself to be a province. Uh, Islamic State in Khorasan claims to be a province of um, the global Islamic Caliphate. They will have an Amir. The Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan also claims to have an Amir as their leader. You can't have two um, leaders in one place. And the, so there's not really as much of a scope for a detente especially because they also come from two relatively different streams of um islamic conservatism the taliban are deobandis which is an islamic uh, revivalist movement a fundamentalist movement that was founded in uh, colonial era india and uh, it has its roots much closer to pashtun ethnic um nationalism and their ethnic code called pakhtun wali while um the Islamic State is Salafist, you know, they have their roots in the Middle East and they have a much more global outlook for one. And another thing is that um, the Islamic State is kind of a kind of an attraction for those Islamists in Afghanistan who are not Pashtuns like Tajiks, Uzbeks. We can see this especially because an organization called the Islamic Movement of Uzbekistan uh, merged with ISIS-K very early on because historically um, the Taliban has been a Pashtun-dominated organization and when they ruled in the 90s it was not a good time for a lot of non-Pashtun people in Afghanistan and those memories still stand and especially because the democratic government of Afghanistan was dominated by these ethnic groups which are non-Pashtun so there's a certain ethnic element to it in that a lot of people who share similar fundamentalist views 
probably would feel that um, ISIS might be more conductive to them. They might have a better place there than a somewhat nationalist, ethnically based movement like the Taliban. Yeah, I'm proud of most of you joining us. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get back into his article uh, at International Policy Digest, how the Taliban's doing actually running the country as opposed to just being the operational forces. A lot of bad news there. Also talk about the future Afghanistan update, what's been going on over there. Our friend Pat Amishiamul joining us on Herdtel. More right after this break. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. Our friend Padameshi Amul from over in India joining us. We're talking Afghanistan. Uh, my friend, you mentioned it in your article. We've linked to it, International Policy Digest. Make sure you read the whole article for yourself. Part of the problem with the Taliban is having now, and it was very predictable because we talked about it during the drawdown and the total chaos that that was when they took over Kabul. Um, they have to actually govern now. And they're not only actually having to govern but they're having to govern over a very different country than they used to govern before the American intervention. The population has doubled. The population is extremely young. The average age in Afghanistan is like mid-20s now. And there's still a country that is very, very strained on resources as it always has. And now all that American money is gone. This looked like a recipe for disaster for them to try to rule because they don't have any experience running a country. And that's pretty much how it's played out. And now with all these issues, like with ISIS-K, you've got a lot of people fighting over a dwindling amount of resources and a very, very stressed population, don't you? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you have you have a country that's been at war for pretty much 43 years now, continuously. You you also have a situation where the Taliban does not really have many international allies. They don't have access to international streams of funding. Any resources that the uh, former government had, the you know Ghani government, they're all frozen in international banks. The Taliban does not have a lot of money per se, and they don't exactly have yet the expertise to rule or administer a country as either. They've basically spent the last 20 years fighting a guerrilla war against uh, American and uh, Afghan security forces. And they they have never had, even though they've held territory for quite a long time, unlike a lot of other guerrilla um, movements, They've never attempted to, let's say, form a local administration or a shadow administration in place. They've, in the war in Afghanistan, has been a constant, you know, hide and seek game between uh, allied forces, uh, NATO forces, and between the Taliban. So that leaves a situation where the the Taliban have now won, and a lot of them will be asking themselves, okay, what do we do now? 
along with this there's also how do i say it there's also certain amounts of internal conflicts between the taliban there is of course the issue that there is the general taliban that um exists in afghanistan is not exactly a centralized leadership it's made up of a lot of local warlords local forces a lot of people who switched over to the taliban only in recent times when you know the wind started blowing the other way there's also the issue of a large block in the taliban is made up of the so-called haqqani network led by sirajuddin haqqani which is quite literally a, a whole separate organization within the taliban there's also an issue regarding um differences between the taliban political leadership which has been in doha and you know the one the ones that negotiated with the united states who signed the agreement and the actual on the ground you know military leaders and we don't know whether the military leaders would want to you know to the same line that the political leadership would the political leadership definitely wants to rule and administer in whatever way they see administration being but a lot of for people who have been at war um for longer than their whole lives it raises a question of how do you ease them into um a civilian peacetime administration uh in a country like afghanistan where conflict is so prolonged there's not much left to get money from there's not there's not mu- there's not much uh sources of funding left for reconstructing a government along with this at least as of yet we have not seen the taliban try to moderate their stance on any of their major issues and um, this means that you know the international community is not going to help them that much either right and um things i'm sorry parmesan uh, joining us uh part of the reason they cannot get the international community though is not just their own brutality as predicted they did the massive crackdown on girls and women you addressed it in your article um let's just be honest here people that have spent years as guerrilla fighters they have a rigid ideology when it comes to women and minority groups and other folks and other religious groups they're really in a corner here that they're never going to really get international recognition unless they have some dramatical revolutionary change in how they do things is that still the stance because we saw the crackdown on women and girls in schools and all that is there any hint at all that they're ever going to change because i'm very skeptical that they will i don't think so honestly and you know recent events have given us even more um food for thought in uh on in the sense that um in around 3 days ago in kabul uh, there was an american drone strike that resulted in the death of ayman al zawahiri who was the long time leader of al qaeda the second most important person in al qaeda after osama bin laden now one of the major factors in america signing a deal with the taliban was that the taliban promised in their doha agreement in 2021 not to support al qaeda not to allow them presence in afghanistan and um they've clearly broken that so not only are their policies not conducive to an international um let's say acceptance not only have they broken an international agreement now it's very clear that they were housing the most important al qaeda leader in their in their capital nonetheless and um they have not denied it they have in fact called this an american uh, attack on their sovereignty and of course you know that's a different debate but the the point that comes here is that 
they've basically create made themselves even less um ideal as a partner in international eyes and now that they've also been harboring the leader of probably world's most infam infamous terrorist group it's just worse Pradamesh Yamel joining us. Let's let's talk big picture for just a second. We know what happened. We know what a mess Afghanistan is. Talk about the people of Afghanistan because this we just talked about it. The population has doubled. This generation didn't live under the Taliban previously, almost any of them. They are now. You ended your article on kind of a down note of like, you know, the real story here is this is a country that has suffered immensely and they're going to continue to suffer and they're going to have even more chaos is there any hope for Afghanistan at all right now? Because something like the Zahawi strike, that means even less America paying attention because obviously they had a network to make that happen. We They had to have you know some inroads. They're probably going to care even less now that you don't have something like that to go after. The world is not paying attention to this. We're one year removed from Cabal falling. You, know, you can't find Afghanistan in the headlines. Are they just doomed to another couple decades of this mess? Is that where we're at with this? I mean, it's likely. Now, the issue with ISIS Khorasan is that the Taliban has been trying to deal with them. You know, they've been trying to deal with them in a military and uh, counterinsurgency sense. But the Taliban has been, for lack of better uh, phrasing, has been using an approach that can be described as, you know, every problem is a nail if you have a big enough hammer. And this has led to a lot of civilian casualties, a lot of... Um, let's say extrajudicial killings a lot of collateral damage and that's not how you run an ins run a counterinsurgency you know the more innocents you kill the more you give credence to the isis's claim that this is an illegitimate government or an illegitimate administration while the taliban while isis has a very small presence let's say territory wise or uh, in terms of personnel they've been conducting attacks widely beyond this uh, territorial presence they've been attacking they've been conducting regular attacks in kabul they've been conducting regular attacks everywhere and the more the taliban you know tries to deal with this with a blunt approach the more it's just going to worsen things and i don't know about uh, the next 30 years of conflict but this thing is going to rage for a while especially if you know uh, they don't get help from foreign actors and they haven't been able to in improve their relations with their neighbor neighbors either. You know, they've had uh, border clashes with Iran and we have seen how Iran res uh, responds to instability on their borders. You know, they have responded to instability on their borders in Iraq and Syria. We don't know what they would do in Afghanistan. And um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's not really very bright for the future because while the Taliban has gained control over their country, they're not being able to um, exercise exercise the ability and uh, let's say power that a normal government does. They're constantly having to deal with issues which if it was in a conventional state somewhere we'd see, we just call it a failed state. like. So basically, for the next at least five or 10 years, I see maybe this conflict simmering down a bit in five years or 10 years, but it's very rough because ISIS has shown that 
you can take their territory you can kill their militants they'll just have more and the thing is they don't need a lot of people to carry out the, the kind of attacks they are carrying out and another major issue is that isis khorasan is pro operating in the provinces bordering pakistan and they have a major presence in khyber pakhtunwa which is the province of pakistan which borders um afghanistan so this becomes a you know transnational problem and the border around those areas is very porous so and it there's a lot of high land mountainous territory which the taliban will find it very hard to you know exercise a, an effective counterinsurgency operation in now the other option then defeating them militarily is um coming to terms with them and i i feel it might be a possibility for taliban but as said before they have too many differences for them to properly come to terms in an agreement and i just see this conflict getting worse for the next couple of years because the taliban is not being able to exercise effective uh, monopoly of violence in their country basically they're not being able to uh, make sure that they're the only actor who can you know use armed actions and as long as they aren't able to do this they basically all can operate as a failed state and i don't see that changing for quite a while yeah oddly enough the uh, same things that allowed them to operate for decades and come to power themselves is now limiting their ability to stay in power and keep stability uh pratimishyam well, great stuff today one last question for you though for the western audience because our news media is basically ignoring this unless something like the zawahiri thing happens or god forbid you know there's a massive death toll or something like that what's a good way for folks to keep track of what's going on in afghanistan what should they be watching for because there's always going to be these little clashes what should the western audience and the american and english-speaking world audience be watching for that something is changing or something is getting better or worse over there they should be watching for honestly speaking this conflict for now has been very steady it's been very for lack of a better word it's been it's been consistent but cons like consistent in a negative way there's not there's no changes that have been occurring for western audiences i'd say there's always news about it it's just buried underneath a lot of other um let's say more important things for the west maybe but i would advise uh just keeping i would advise being informed about what isis does and what isis says because um as with the middle east and isis they you know very vocal about what they're trying to do and of course the uh, the taliban has also become more media savvy they're putting out releases about their supposed counterinsurgency operations and the successes of it i would try to look for the impact on the civilians the moment you see the impact on civilians lessening you know there's you find out that there's some kind of solution uh, coming up but unfortunately for now it's not like that just recently you know uh, in something that's more closely related to my uh, location uh, there's been a relative mass exodus of afghan sikhs uh leaving the country and fleeing to india because it's simply not that safe anymore because there's isis targeting them the taliban is not going to help them out that much they're infidels for the more radical members of the taliban so you know you have a community in the few hundreds of which there are scores fleeing back to india and 
of course um while i'm happy they have a safe haven here to come to it's also sad that they have to leave homes which they have occupied for centuries and it just shows that you know the most important thing here is the civilians and until we see less civilians being affected it's it's not going to get better yeah well said my friend uh pradamesha mool joining us on Hertel. We're definitely going to have you back, my friend. You've got good information. You present it well. We appreciate your insight. Let folks know how they can keep up with what you've got going on. We're going to link to your article. Let them know how they can follow you and what else you have going on, my friend, until we see you again. Um, I just have a blog that I operate on mostly issues like this. It's um, stuff.wordpress.com, but uh, there's no T's, there's sevens instead. And you can just uh, visit me there. I write articles about things regularly. Of course, I also plan on writing more for um, publications like the International Policy Digest. So um, hopefully you can read more there. Yep. And we'll link to his blog and his other work. You do good work. We look forward to having you back real soon, my friend. Thank you so very much for the time. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here and contribute. Thank you. Yes, sir. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.